Hello, and welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. I'm Peter Bregman, and I believe that the best leaders don't try to do it alone. As the CEO of Bregman Partners, my mission for over 30 years and the mission of this podcast is to help successful people like you close your leadership gaps, grow as leaders, and inspire your team, inspire all the people around you to get great results. With us today is Erica Dewan. She has written most recently the book, Digital Body Language, How to Build Trust and Connection No Matter the Distance. It's an awesome book. She is more importantly than an author, my friend, uh, but maybe not more importantly than an author of this book because it is such a great book. Erica, thank you for uh, coming to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. Thank you for having me, Peter. So great to be here with you. So Erica, why did you write this book? And and I'm and that's a pointed question because you have a really powerful origin story in it. So I kind of want you to share that story. I grew up as a shy and introverted girl. My parents were Indian immigrants, which meant at home we spoke Hindi. So when I got to school, I had accented English and really struggled to find my voice growing up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I remember in every report card from kindergarten through 12th grade, I often got straight A's, but every teacher said, I wish Erica spoke up more in class. One of the things that I developed because I was so shy was an ability to decipher other people's body language as an observer. I would watch the popular girls with their heads high, their shoulders back, the cool kids slouching during assemblies. And it helped me really understand, especially as I assimilated that it's not just what we say, it's how we say it. I remember being at home watching Bollywood movies, not knowing exactly what the actors and actresses were saying in Hindi, but I could read an entire entire storyline through the power of body language. And that's what really built my fascination with the importance of communication. Fast forward 30 years, I became a communication and collaboration expert. And about a few years ago, Peter, I noticed that my clients kept asking the same questions. There were questions like, Why is there so much misunderstanding at work? How do we better connect with different ages and working styles? And what I realized was that there was no rule book for the body of our language in a digital world. Just like I was an immigrant to traditional body language, I realized that today we are all immigrants to digital body language. That's why I wrote this book. So what is digital body language? Digital body language are the cues and signals we send in our digital communication that make up the subtext of our messages. Everything from our punctuation to our response times to how we greet and sign off an email to our video call body language are not just trivial things. They are signals and cues that either make or break trust, respect, and empathy and how we connect with others today. So, you know, it it seemed to me when I was reading this book that you're doing two things. Um, One is to identify what you're seeing and how it's understood. And and tell me if this is right, because this is what I garnered from. One is you're sort of identifying, here's what I'm seeing and here's how I think things are understood. And the other is, it seems like you're also trying to set a new standard, a new set of rules that um, will help us all get on the same page about this. Meaning you're trying to like be the strunk and white of the digital digital age and to be able to say, hey, let's all agree on some communication standards. So when you're upset, do this. When you're not sure, do that. Is, am I understand, like, did I understand your, how you're approaching this book? In many ways, I wrote this rule book as a crucial conversations for the digital age. 
because I had faced my own challenges. I would get a text from a client with a period at the end of it, and I thought I was going to get fired, and it was just a simple question. Or, you know, I kept calling a friend, but she kept thinking that every time I would call her out of the blue, there was an emergency, creating a whole sense of miscommunication between us. I even remember getting into messaging fights with my own sister. We didn't talk for weeks after one of them, and it was simply because the tonelessness of our messages. So I, I truly believe that what I've learned is that body language hasn't disappeared. It is transformed. Whether we know it or not, we are sending digital body language signals. And what I set out to do with the book is to help us all become aware of what signals we're sending, even if we don't intend to, even if we're doing it blindly or accidentally. But also, as you said, most importantly, set a standard of best practices so that we can move forward together. Uh, and, and a lot of that comes from the fact that I learned that we are not all the same. We will read cues differently. And if we don't create a culture of explicit clarity around it, we can cause more confusion. So now I'm going to sell for you, which is I think ideally everybody should buy the book and then give it to everybody they interact with digitally so that everybody is on the same page about how to interact digitally. You didn't pay me to say that, but I think it's a really good idea. You know, I, in many ways, I say this is the book to gift not only to your boss and your team, but your partner, your kids, your parents. I, you know, I, I think one of the stories from the book that is in many way will resonate with many of us um, is a story of a couple who had a texting exchange. So Laura and Dave had been going out for about three years. And one night they got into a fight exclusively via text message. Laura is really fed up as they're fighting by text. She sends Dave, her boyfriend, a message saying, so are we through with a question mark, T-H-R-U question mark. And <laughs> Dave responds and writes, I guess so, dot, dot, dot. For the next 48 hours, Laura grieves the ending to their relationship. She tells her friends they broke up. She takes off a day from work. Fast forward to Tuesday comes around, Dave's knocking on our door and Laura says, I, I thought you said we were through. And Dave said, I thought you meant we were through and arguing, not as in you and me. And so in many ways, uh, this is a book about the fact that our digital body language are, are not just great skills for collaboration at work, but they are relationship makers and breakers in our lives. Okay, so let's let's talk big picture and then we'll get we'll get smaller. You talk about these um, four laws of digital body language: value visibly, communicate carefully, collaborate confidently, and trust totally. Can you give us just a couple of sentences on each one so people have a frame? Value visibly is about valuing people's time, inboxes, and schedules. With so many of the cues of how we showed value to others, eye contact, handshake, lean in, team dinner. With many of those invisible now, we have to remember that what was implicit in traditional body language to value others now has to be explicit in digital body language. Value so should we say, should we write a sentence and then have a parenthesis saying, I'm leaning in right now, close parentheses, and then <laughs> you know, giving you a hug. And should we should we be explicit about that? Or there's what you're saying is there's ways of doing there that. There are cues, right? So that it could mean on a video call, um, using the chat tool to engage actively, sharing, you know, I, I completely agree with what you're saying. And here's what I'd add in the chat while someone is speaking. It could be, you know, being thoughtful if something is urgent, responding quickly. Another one I love is what I call the new virtual handshake, which is sending a quick email recap within 30 minutes of a meeting, summarizing what, what happens, making sure that everyone's aligned. And it could even be simply knowing that 
There may be digital introverts and extroverts on your team, uh, perhaps sending an agenda in advance. So some team members have time to process before the meeting using right. chat tools or whiteboards. And, right. and those are just some examples. Which arguably is just good business management practice no matter what. Absolutely. And in many ways, I think so much of the book is about how we become better communicators in right. a 21st century area, not just digital. Right. Okay. So that's value visibly. Does it also cover communicate carefully or is that separate? The second law is communicate carefully. And I'll sum it up with one client story. A client sent a message to his boss saying, do you want to speak Wednesday or Thursday? And his boss responded, yes. And I like to share that story because Reading carefully is the new listening and writing clearly is the new empathy. Right. The third law is collaborate confidently. Now, confidence used to mean gregarious body language, you know, activating others in a room. Today, I like to say confidence is saying what you'll do, doing what you'll say, prioritizing thoughtfulness over groupthink, not rushing everyone to respond fastest to an email or quickest on a Zoom call, but prioritizing uh, a space to really collaborate effectively uh, and enable everyone to truly share. The fourth law is trust totally. And trust in a digital world is really about assuming the best intent, giving others the benefit of the doubt, understanding that there are digital biases, just like traditional body language biases and fighting them. So I wanna share with you, with you my sort of biggest, biggest hesitance or challenge with all of this and, and then talk about it which is time, which is, you know, I, I, you know, most of my clients are C-suite and, and senior executives. And a lot of people who are listening are like, they're probably listening to this podcast while they're running or driving, right? They're not like sitting, listening to the podcast for many of them. And, and time is of, is of the, you know, is, is, is a challenge for everybody. I, I went to lunch with the CIO of a pretty big bank and I came back and he opened up his computer when we got back. And literally in the hour and a half that we went out for lunch, he had a thousand emails, yeah. right? And some of them are CCs and BCCs. And so, so there's so much, you have so much thoughtfulness in, in this book and in how to approach it. And yet we go through our lives with very little time for thoughtfulness in a sense that, you know, like, especially with senior executives, a lot of emails get passed back and forth with like four words in them because yeah. you know you're going through so much and i know for myself like i will make the mistake of not reading an email fully i just made this mistake yesterday of responding to something and then realizing they were actually saying something else but i just didn't read it very carefully so how do you manage the digital age challenge of everything is moving at hyper speed with the very wise sage advice of slow down and be very strategic and intentional and thoughtful about every word that you put, um, you know, digitally. Yeah. So this is a critical challenge because everything is moving at hyperspeed. And at the same time, if we are too brief, it can create confusion. It can create misunderstanding and eventually lost profits for businesses. So there is a double-edged sword. And, and what I would say here is in all of our messages, we are sending signals and reading other signals based on two other questions we're always answering. And this will guide how you know productive or how thoughtful we should be, how fast versus thoughtful. The first is who has more or less power here? If we have more power, uh, you know, a significantly more power, we have to remember that 
in many cases are brevity or too much brevity can create a lot of confusion. The pressure to communicate quickly can cause teams to assume something, especially if there is in high trust. If there is sort of equal power or there's a different dynamic, again, this may not be as much of an, an issue. The second question is, how much do we trust each other? Do we have high trust? Do we work together every day? Do we talk all the time? In that case, uh, you know, erring on the side of quick, fast messages, you got me, or you'll ask me on that next Zoom call uh, what you really needed can be very effective. If there's low trust, this is where erring on the side of formality is incredibly important. And in chapter two of the book, I actually have what I call a trust and power matrix. So you can simply diagnose, you know, is this is, is there a big trust and power gap here? Maybe err on the side of taking 30 seconds. Yes, it's only 30 seconds to be cautious and, and thoughtful. And maybe if you can't respond immediately, star it and respond at you know an email block of time to do it. And, and if it's fast, just make it fast. The other thing that I think is important though for executives is just to stop creating these cultures of endless email. Uh, you know, in the office, people would walk by and they would prepare all their questions and then ask you them because they knew they'd only get 15 minutes from you. Now they feel like they can send you 15 different emails <laughs> of those 15 questions. And so it is the job of leaders now to set some digital body language norms in their culture. In fact, um, one of my clients, we said acronyms, NNTR means no need to respond. Like, don't respond to this email. I don't want 15 thank yous. Uh, no, no, no. Another team instituted ROM, which means respond on Monday, especially if an executive sends an email on Sunday. They don't want the team frazzled and rushing and ruining their weekend to try right. to respond. I, I, By the way, I suggested I, I'm on a, a text uh, group with some friends of mine from high school. Um, who I love and who I go to dinner with once a month uh, since it's only been a couple of years since I graduated high school. And, 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 but everybody was like writing something and then three people were liking it. But, and I said, how about guys, we stop liking or tap backs on anything, but just put, and I got such, cause my phone kept buzzing and I got such pushback. Like, no, like yeah. we want to, you know, like we, 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 so like the need, no need to respond thing you you need uh, agreement from everybody that I'm not going to say thank you or I'm not going to say great idea or, because otherwise you're going to get that many. And, and it's hard to get that agreement because people want to emote. Yeah, and, and different people have different styles. I mean, right. I, for one, am someone who loves to just, I, I don't like serial texting chains. I right. like just calling people out of the blue. Um, but I have so many friends, especially because I am more of a of a of a digital native, um, you know, hate that. They just want to text me all the time. And I'm like, why don't you just pick up the phone? And some of these things can impact relationships more than we know. Yeah. And yeah. in the book, I actually talk about digital natives who often have more of a preference for text, I am chat tools versus digital adapters who often learned technology as an adult in the workplace versus grow, right. grew up with it, who may prefer to pick up the phone, have those dialogues. And, and I see the culture clash all the time. A native right. sending a thoughtful email, an adapt, adapter saying, let's talk on the phone. The native saying, why don't you just answer my email so I can get back to the work? And the adapter saying, why don't you just pick up the phone so I can get back to work? Okay, so I wanna talk about two things that you've mentioned uh, just now and, and go a little deeper. One is what you just said, but before that, Cal Newport's been talking a lot about stopping email completely. I'm curious what you think about that. Cal is a great author um, in his book, A World Without Email is Excellent. 
you know, and I disagree. You know, we can't have a world without email. It is how we do work now. So it, it's it's great to, I, I think it's provocative, but at the same time, my argument is let's learn how to use email well. Let's bring back sanity and clarity to email. Um, you know, in many ways, every organization uses email. So this isn't going to be disrupted anytime soon, uh, especially with more traditional industries. It will It will become just the basis of how we work like it has been for the last 15 months. Right. Okay. And now this other thing, which is that everybody has their style. And you talk about uh, uh, an individual's digital persona, but you also were just now talking about, and, and, I, and I think I've been thinking a lot about this, but, you know, about how different people respond to differently. So I have a client, uh, CEO of an entertainment company, and I mentioned to him, hey, by the way, I just call you on your cell. I prefer calling to texting. He said, me too. Don't, you don't have to text or you just call me. If I can't, I'll text you and I'll let you know that I'm gonna call you back uh, if I can't pick up right in the morning. But I like, I like when you just randomly call. And I said, great. And, and I think about my, I think about, I left a voicemail for someone and my kids looked at me and said, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. and I said, I'm leaving a voicemail. They were like, why would you do that? Like, why would you leave a voicemail? I was like, why wouldn't you leave a voicemail? Like nobody listens to voicemail. And I said, have you listened to your voicemail? And they say, no. And I was like, that's because it's full. Because every time I try to leave your voice, because you've never listened to your voicemail. <laughs> and, and so many you know, people have these sort of like, kids speak a different digital language than I do. They're, they tend to be more transactional. They tend, and, and I'm wondering, and I also think, and, and so then I'll say one more thing in relation to this, which is I think about DEI, like I think about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and this challenge of, intention versus impact that we talk a lot about in the diversity space, which is like, I might intend something, but it might impact you very differently. And I need to like learn to understand how I'm impacting you and putting all this together. Like, how do you manage this morass of like, everybody's different. Everybody's reading and thinking about things differently. Everybody's interpreting things differently. Everybody wants things differently. And I want to create a standard, but at the same time, I'm dealing with a million people who all have different sort of desires. Yeah. So one of the things I really thought about as I was working on this book is the fact that there are so many differences and there is not going to be a perfect standard, but we can be curious and ask questions like you did to your client in ways that, again, will deepen connection in a digital world, strengthen them perhaps even better than we ever worked with them face to face. Uh, so, you know, some of the things that I found in the research, let's look at gender, generation, some of these examples, uh, gender, you know, there are differences in even it, perceptions of how men versus women use exclamation points. One study showed that when a woman used mul multiple exclamation points at work, maybe she wrote, here you go, multiple, you know, three exclamation points in an email. Others would more likely interpret that as excitement. When a man used, here you go, three exclamation points, they interpret it, interpreted it as urgent. Another study, um, and another example that I'll share, which is a personal example is generationally, when my father sends me a text message, it starts with dear Erica and ends with love dad. And I have to scroll through it because it's as long as a letter and haven't quite taught him that a text is not the same as a letter. That's maybe the other example between you and your kids um, and me and my father. And he'll call me out of the blue when like four or five times. And I think four or five times is an emergency, but he just wants to fix his scanner. So again, I, I think what, what the answer is, is first we have to assume good intent. Understand that we are not all the same. Give others the benefit of the doubt. 
Second, know when to switch the channel. If you are facing confusion, I like to say picking up the phone is worth a thousand emails. Uh, don't read into things. Don't get emotionally hijacked. You know, right. be proactive around it. And and last but not Talk least, about a digital panic attack. Yeah. At last but not least, ask them. Like ask them what they prefer, especially those that are working close with you. And that's right. your simple example can actually make or break engagement right now with right. clients, customers, and employees. Um, you make this really important point, which you're kind of talking about now about being curious about, you know, like, I, I think this is so important in, in general, in terms of how we lead and how we manage. And so I, you know, maybe there's nothing more to say about it than what you said, but I, I kind of wanted to point it out and maybe you had a thought. Curiosity is such a critical part of how we read others' digital body language. Uh, one leader runs a global steering committee for a financial services company. And she told me a story uh, where she runs a team. She's based in New York and she has a team member in London, Sydney, Australia, and Buenos Aires, Argentina. She found that her colleague in Buenos Aires on Zoom calls was not engaging. He wasn't speaking up or she thought maybe he was multitasking. Then she thought maybe he was distracted. Finally, she had the curiosity to stop assuming. And she IM'd him during the Zoom call. Said, just checking everything okay. We haven't heard from you. And he IM'd her back saying, I'm having such a hard time translating three different English accents when English is not my native language. An American, a British, and an Australian accent at the same time. This really allowed her to check her bias and realize that we are not all the same. They started using closed captioning on Zoom and the chat more actively, but had she not been curious to ask, it could have created more disconnection. Right, right. That's a great, great example. I am uh, curious about uh, a couple of different scenarios. So what's the best way to follow up on an email that hasn't been responded to? And uh, is it safe to assume if they didn't respond, they don't want to, or should we be persistent? Or, you know, like, how do you handle that? Especially if there's a power dynamic. Oh, how do we follow up without sounding like a nag? Well, a few things. The first is, um, you know, usually it's appropriate to follow up once, uh, sometimes within seven days, sometimes within 14 days. It depends on the power dynamic and the circumstances. You seem to mention always, in your book, you don't love that line, just nudging this to the top of your- Oh, uh, no. <laughs> it can definitely be seen as passive aggressive. Uh, but I'll, you know, I'll be honest, I, I get those messages all the time. And I give people grace because I learned that they're writing this book. Uh, you know, when you are sending a follow-up, change the subject line. Make it clear that it's a follow-up. Remember, emails are visual. We decide whether to open an email based on a subject line. So if you want to, if you want your messages to be read, be clear. Is it? Is there a deadline? Is there an urgency? Wait, can pause for a second. That's so interesting what you say, which is that we decide based on the subject line. I don't think I do. And this might be obnoxious. I decide based on the person. Well, like, I think it's both. It's both. Yeah. I mean, we, we decide based on the person, but we also decide based on the subject line. If, right. if you get in R-E-R-E-R-E -E -E versus A, you know, this is due tonight. Um, that does change behavior. Right, that's true. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and so, of course, the name of the person will will always be be the primary. But remember, we get we're getting hundreds to thousands of messages right. now. So a lot of that is also scanning through the subject line. And then when you're in the email, remember the body of your email is visual. People read it like a website. So right. get to the point quickly. Have a bold underlined heading. These things, as you mentioned, even in your story. We read messages in 15 seconds right. and that will make or break whether we respond or whether it's too long and we want to wait. The second thing 
is if you're not having success in the channel you're using, switch the platform. Know when to pick up the phone, when to try maybe a voicemail. Maybe now I know I can leave a voicemail with you, Peter. <laughs> but or you know, there are others that love voice notes or, in, or another channel. I mean, I've seen people follow up with me by direct messaging me on Instagram. Right. And I realized that I didn't follow up on their email and they actually reminded me. And then I followed up on their email. Like it actually works. Right. And I'm not saying do that with, you know, the clients who would find that insulting or intrusive, but in this case, it wasn't intrusive. Right. So I think, again, these are just simple things to be conscious of that can help. And then some of it's not digital. Some of it's like people, like if I'm if I'm writing a sales uh, email to somebody and they don't respond, they probably don't want to respond. Like, yeah. like, and and that's hard to, you know, follow up is tricky for that reason. It's like hard to know if we're be you don't want to be annoying, but you, but they might just not want to respond. But they also don't write an email saying, by the way. I'm, I'm like I, I tend to do this, and I don't know that it's necessary. But when people send me a bunch of PR stuff, mm -hmm. I'll often just write pass, 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 and yeah. it feels a little obnoxious. But I'm doing it because I don't want them having to like continue to follow up and yeah. continue to keep me as an open item, or and I think they appreciate that. Yeah, I I think that one of the best things you can do is to be responsive to others if it is a hard no instead of not responding. One of the most common examples of digital anxiety is just slower no responses and even right. if we have to be slow a quick you know got it i'll get back to you in two weeks is actually much better than not responding at all for those two weeks right right yeah and and with the number of emails that you get it's a little bit i i find myself struggling a little bit as to whether i just delete an email or respond in some way because if i don't know them I really hate not responding to an email. It seems irresponsible. On the other hand, too much of my day is caught up in responding to email. So, you know, it's, it's, it's like I was raised to be polite. And if someone says something to me, I don't not respond. And yet digitally not responding seems to be sort of an efficient and acceptable approach. Yeah. So how do you manage that with people who email you that you don't know, that you don't really have time to go through everything but on the other hand it just feels so incredibly rude yeah i mean i think people have different styles around this there are those that just don't mind not responding and will ghost people um you know ghosting is very it, it was a it's it's much more common in sort of the digital native category but um for someone like you peter who really values relationships across the board and and sees it as a sign of respect to get a response I think that things are changing, right? The pace and speed, the amount of emails we are getting. So go back to the power and trust matrix. Um, you know, if there's high enough trust, respond. If there's a low trust, let it go and don't respond, right. move on. Right. Okay, so now give us some tips. Like how should I end my emails? It depends. There <laughs> I go again. Uh, you know, end your emails in a way that is authentic to you but be conscious of the power and trust gaps. If you are ending an email to a Fortune 500 executive, you may want to err on the side of formality, you know, best or regards. Uh, but if it's, uh, you know, a good friend who may also be that Fortune 500 executive, you may just want to end with Peter or P or whatever you, you'd like to use. I think a lot of this just simply goes back to power and trust. And I hope that we can be more of ourselves and also stop reading into signatures, which can often happen. Right. 
Um, do you like the idea of people having just a regular signature that they don't even think about uh, and it's the same thing every time and they're writing the email and the signature is just there? I think it's great. I'm a big fan of starting to automate a lot of these things that are wasting our time because we're thinking too much about them. One of them that I love is Calendly, just being able to sign up to get on people's calendar. I mean, the back and forth we waste on things like that. Even I've seen salespeople see much more improvement if they're sending cold emails. They offer a Calendly. And because there is a lack of human, multiple human interactions, right. potential prospects are actually much more likely to book a call. And right. so the more the more streamlined, the better. I actually have a client who has um, email rules, like a who, what, when for work requests and emails. So there's no niceties. Uh, there's no could you do this? It's just get to the point. This is how we work. And it saves everyone time. So I know you say that emojis are not simply for young people, but here's how I know that they are. I literally can't see what an emoji is. It's so small. So like on my phone, <laughs> they look at an emoji and I'm like, what is that? Is that like, is that, is it a ghost? Is it a cake? Is it a, now I might really be dating myself and that's terrible. But especially when people send me a list of like 20 emojis in a text, you know, all together, I'm like, what are they trying to say? Am I supposed to decode that? You know, again, I think that in many ways, um, emojis tend to skew younger, uh, digital natives grew up with them, but right. I, I would argue that um, some of the most active users of emojis today are grandmothers, you know, with their children and on WhatsApp and in other countries, uh, especially in countries like Japan, where emojis really originated, uh, there is really no difference now. I mean, the, the quote unquote younger ones are off to other things. They're off to GIFs and memes. Like emojis is like old school. It's like, it's like Facebook versus TikTok and Clubhouse. <laughs> so it also depends on your cultural background. Right, right. Um, you say something that I really want to highlight because I think this is like so core to everything you wrote in the book, although it's not necessarily highlighted, but I think it's, it's like the key question is you write something about meeting tips that says make sure everyone can answer the question why am i in this meeting or conversation and and that seems like it is such a critical question for us to ask in every single piece of communication that we do not just meetings why am i doing this communication and then as succinctly and clearly as possible identify that and and that like you know that one piece of advice alone seems like it would clarify a lot. Am I, am I, does that resonate with you? We've all been in too many terrible meetings, not just prior to the pandemic, but in the last 15 months. And in many ways, digital meetings amplify, you know, what, what is um, bad. And they also amplify what is good. And I think that it is giving us a, hopefully a reckoning around reimagining the modern day meeting. I, I believe that every meeting should start with a meeting host saying, here's, what the success looks like at the end of the meeting. Here's why you're all invited here. Here's how we're going to engage you in this meeting, whether it's chat, virtual whiteboard, other tools. And if we all stay present, I'll end the meeting 10 minutes early. Like that will quickly avoid multitasking. And so many meetings are so much longer than they need to be. Right. Um, you touched on this a little bit, but I'm curious about, I, I find this idea of trusting totally a little tricky. And, and like, the relationship between being trusting and being trustworthy and what are a couple of tips you can give people to be trustworthy so that they then tend to trust more and also others can trust them. The first thing I would say is you have to be vulnerable yourself 
to be trustworthy to others. That means showing some skin, you know, being willing to say what you know, what you don't know, where you're struggling, uh, you know, where you need help from others. And again, that's not really the, the court for traditional executive speeches on confidence, on executive presence. But in this, and especially in the last year, we've seen, uh, you know, executives that have tried to take what worked in the office to a virtual lens often failed. For example, one of my clients, a CEO, used to run his town halls. He would go in, you know, use his extroverted body language, read a communication script, present and engage the teams with their business updates and then leave. And it was great. Now, when he tried to do that back in March and April on a Zoom call, it fell flat. Employees were actually insulted by how disengaged he was. And we worked to completely flip the script. Instead, now he sends a video business update in advance. And then the entire town hall is like an ask me anything where attendees can ask him questions where he has to be caught off guard and not read a script, but actually talk to his people. And it's completely transforming the trust that they have in him. The second a tip is just create virtual water cooler moments. This is the opportunity where we have to reinvent those moments, whether it's 10 minutes at the end of a meeting or at the beginning where everyone shares a win of the week and a challenge uh, or separate unique. I, I like to reinvent like the 15 minute lunch break, but with your colleagues or with others that actually is more inclusive than the previous water cooler because that water cooler was based on who was in the office, who was there that day, who was in that location. And now you can actually break silos in those virtual water coolers. Right. And, and lastly, I love virtual office hours. Like leaders mm -hmm. are saying, I'm available. These times come and join me and co-work. And it can actually be transformative for informal engagement. And do they do that by just opening up a Zoom room and saying, here's the Zoom room. I'm going to be in here. I'm going to be working. Anyone who wants to work. Yeah. And, and you can ask me questions. It's like a, you know, it's like we're working together on site. And, right. and what I found is teams that have done this instead of waiting a week to get on someone's calendar for 30 minutes, they're asking questions in five minutes and speeding right. up right. work. Right, it's great. Erica, this has been so terrific. I, I love this conversation with you. I love the book again. It's called Digital Body Language, How to Build Trust and Connection No Matter the Distance. Uh, it's, a, it's a terrific book. And, and it really is a book that like, I want my kids to read this and I want other people to read it so that we can clarify some of the confusions that that happen because we're on different pages and 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 just underscoring like this idea of being curious and asking questions and clarifying why you're doing what you're doing all helps to to become sort of more productive and efficient in and clear in the communication so thank you for writing it and thank you for being on the bregman leadership podcast thank you peter Thanks for listening. Here's what I've learned from working with some of the most successful leaders of the most successful companies. Every leader, every team, and every organization has a leadership gap. If you want to become a leader who inspires your team to get things done, then you've got to start by raising the level of your leadership abilities. You can start by taking our free leadership gap assessment at www.bregmanpartners.com forward slash quiz. Then dive deeper with a copy of my latest book, Leading with Emotional Courage. For more ways to become a truly great leader, check out our online offerings, 
in-person workshops and events, and my articles at www.bregmanpartners.com. Again, thanks so much for joining me today and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.